Well, good morning. I'd like to welcome our visitors, all from Lexington this morning. We're glad y'all are here so, so much. If you would open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Continue our study in Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. Before we begin, let's bow before our Lord and seek His blessing. Our Father, which art in heaven, holy and reverend, is your matchless name. Father, we come before you this morning bowing before you all in reverence before the thrice holy God. Yet, Father, how thankful we are because of your mercy and your grace. We can come before you as your children, crying, Abba, Father. And oh, we're thankful. Father, your children cry out to you you might give us, that you might be pleased to give us a blessing from your storehouses of grace this morning, that you might reveal to us again the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is our constant prayer with our brother Moses of old, show us your glory. Oh, if you'd show us your redemptive glory in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, by his obedience, by his sacrifice, and his immeasurable love for his people. And we beg of you that you give us faith to believe, faith to rest the entirety of our soul upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He is sufficient. He's all that we need. Father, you blessed us so abundantly. You, how can we begin to thank you? The physical blessings on top of, Father, the, the spiritual blessings. The spiritual blessings we hope to look at this morning. That you've given us everything that you have for a sinner in Christ our Savior. That you've given us everything that's required. That sinful men and women such as we are can stand accepted in the Beloved. And Father, while we, how we freely admit you've blessed us. There are also those that you brought into the time of trouble and trial. By your will and by your purpose. We're thankful to know these things are not an accident. But they're under your Direct control, directed by the loving hand of our Father. Father, we pray that you'd heal. We pray that you'd comfort. We pray that you'd direct. And above all, Father, we pray you'd give a fulfillment of your promise to your people, that you'd not leave them nor forsake them, that your grace is sufficient. All these things we ask, and we give thanks in that name which is above every name, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I've titled our lesson this morning, The Blessing of Predestination. We're going to spend a few weeks looking at the blessings that the Father has given to all of His people and His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. There's quite a few of them listed here in Ephesians chapter 1. In verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Last week we looked at God's, uh, the blessing of God's election of a people. And this morning we're going to look at the blessing of God's predestination of a people. In verse 5, Paul says, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now the word predestinated that Paul uses here means to determine beforehand or to decide beforehand. And predestination simply means this, 
that God has a will and a purpose that he determined before he created anything. And now, in human time, everything God is doing is carrying out that will that he determined before to be done. And I want to give you five points here that will help us understand what predestination really is and help us see the blessing of God's predestination of a people. Now, number one is this. Predestination is God's sovereign right. Paul says here it's according to the good pleasure of God's will. Now, since God is the ruler over everything in his creation, it's only right that God would predetermine a merciful outcome for the sinners that he elected to save. Scripture says it's he that made us, not we ourselves. Isn't that right? God's our creator. Well, since God created us, he owns us. And he has the right to do with his own what he will. Look at back at Jeremiah chapter 18. You know, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he was a, a prophet in such a difficult time in, in the history of Israel. And one day the Lord came to his weeping prophet and he says, Jeremiah, you go down to the potter's house and I'm going to teach you a valuable lesson. Let's read these verses. Let's go to the potter's house with Jeremiah. Maybe the Lord will be pleased to teach us this same lesson. Jeremiah 18, verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. Now, you know, it's, it's, this is just a, a referendum on, on man's dead nature. Nobody would dare think to question the potter about him taking a lump of clay, divided it into, into two pieces, and out of one piece, he'd make a chamber pot. And he just makes a, a chamber pot. He doesn't decorate, he doesn't paint it, he just, you know, he makes a chamber pot. Out of the other lump, he makes a beautiful vase. He paints it, and just it, it's a work of art. Now, why did he choose this lump of clay to make the beautiful work of art and this lump to make a, a chamber pot. Well, he needed both and he just chose to do it that way. Nobody would ever think of questioning the potter about that. Now, we won't question a man who's like us. Why do we think it's all right to question God? Why did you predetermine to do this? And before we ask that question, look at Romans chapter 9. The Apostle Paul gives us a commentary, a New Testament commentary, on what the Lord taught Jeremiah down there at the potter, potter's house. Romans chapter 9, verse 20. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay? Of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and one vessel unto dishonor. Here's what Paul's saying right there. You can write this in by verse 20 if you want. Who do you think you are? 
your parents ever tell you that when you're growing up? Who do you think you are? Who do we think we are to question God Almighty? You know, you and I are just creatures of the dust. And yet we still predetermine the things that we're going to do, don't we? When you get in your car, you don't sit down in that car and say, well now, I wonder where this thing's going to go. You know, I wouldn't dare, I wouldn't dare violate, you know, the, the rights of this car to, to make a decision to where it's going to go. That would, that would just be so horrible. I, you don't wonder, where's this car going to end up? No, the car's dead. It can't make any decisions for itself. You, before you got in that car, you predetermined where that car was going to go, didn't you? And then you directed to go to the place you predetermined to go. Now, you and I predetermined what we're going to do with the dead objects that belong to us. Why would we think God doesn't have the same right to predestinate, to predetermine what he's going to do with his creatures? I'll tell you why. Because we're dead in sin. That's why. That's, that's the only reason we think God doesn't have the same rights to predetermine what he's going to do with his own like we do. You know, really, we predetermine most things that we do, don't we? Now, we say, the Lord willing, I'm going to do this, that, or the other, but we predetermined that we're going to do it. I have predetermined what I'm going to do later on today. I'm going to eat dinner, I'm going to kick back in my recliner and take a nap. I've predetermined that. And Lord willing, that's what I'm going to do. And Savannah can tell you, there's very little that's going to stop that from happening, isn't there? Very little. I've predetermined that. Now, Lord willing, that's what I'm going to do. And if we don't predetermine what we're going to do, very little of any value is going to get done. Really. I mean, I tell Janet this all the time. you got to have a plan. I mean, you got to have a plan. Flying by the seat of your pants just seldom gets things, you know, very, very good things done. And let me tell you, Almighty God does not fly by the seat of his pants. He's not just reacting to us and wonder, oh, what they're going to do. And he's got to constantly react. He's not flying by the seat of his pants. Almighty God has a will, has a purpose that he determined before time is going to happen. And he's doing it. He's doing it. He's accomplishing his purpose, and it's his sovereign right to do it. All right, number two. Predestination, this is so important, always has to do with Christ. Predestination doesn't really have to do with the place. It has to do with the person. Just like God did not elect some people to heaven and some people to hell. He didn't elect them to determine you know, the place that they would go. God did not predestinate a people to determine the place. That he didn't predestinate some people to hell and some people to heaven. You know, God didn't have to do that. He didn't have to predestinate some people to go to hell. We do a fine job of that on our own. Fine job. Look at Romans chapter 8. If you're there, just turn back a page. Predestination always has to do with our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Predestinate what? To be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now the Father elected a people to save, and he predestinated those people. To be made just like his son. 
See, the Father didn't predestinate a people to go to heaven. Now, that's the end result. If we're made just like Christ, we have to be where Christ is. But the Father predetermined His purpose was to make a people just like His Son. The Father loved His Son so much, He saw His perfection. The perfection of His character. The perfection of His person. Pleased the Father so much, He determined to fill heaven with a number of people no man can number and make every last one of them just like his son. That's what Paul means here when he says the Father predestinated a people that the Lord Jesus Christ might be the firstborn among many brethren. He might be the king. He might be the first of many more to come. Now God's predetermined purpose, what he predestinated, was to make his elect people to be just like his son. Now I ask you, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want that? God predestinated a people to be made just like his son. And you know, that should be our goal too. To be just like Christ. That should be our goal. Now, make no mistake about it. I do not want to go to hell. I do not. And I would like to go to heaven, but not just to be, not, not just to be in heaven. That, that place is so much more glorious than our language can express. But more than anything, I want to be just like Christ. I want to be with Him and to be made just like Him. Now, wherever that's at, that's heaven. That's heaven. The streets of gold and pearly gates and mansions mean nothing without Christ, without being made just like Christ. That's what predestination is all about. And you think, I mean, all we can do is imagine it because we can't comprehend it. What a blessing it will be to not bear Adam's image anymore. <laughs> I mean, not, not even have the bridge of his nose. Not have the first bit of his character. To not be like Adam anymore, but to be just like Christ. I mean, what a blessing. This, this predestination of a people to be made like Christ is an unspeakable blessing. To be made holy. To have a body and a nature without sin. To not even have a thought of sin. Or a desire of sin. Mm. What a blessing it'll be to have perfect love. Oh, we love God, don't we? Because He first loved us, but our love, it's fickle. It's fickle. But there, our love will be perfect. Because we'll be made just like Christ. That's a blessing. I mean, I'm talking about things I can't even fully explain. (laughs) I don't don't have the words for it. What a blessing that the Father predetermined to make a people just like His Son. Here's the third thing. He predestinated people to be like Christ and he predestinated the way of their salvation. He predestinated the way that they would be made like Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. 
I want to stop a second and talk about that. This is what Paul's saying about the, the mystery. When we preach the gospel, now I want you to understand the words that I'm saying. Um, in the last week or so, it's become a joke at, at our house. Uh, Brother Clay Curtis told me if you type your your uh, messages out in Microsoft Word, at the end, there's this little thing you can run. It'll tell you the, the reading grade level of your notes. And Clay said, you get up 7th, 8th grade, you got to go back and redo everything. He was so happy one day he, he got a, a, a reading level, grade 3, you know, so that now as competitive as I am, this is my goal. I want to have a reading level, you know, grade 3. I want you to understand the words that I'm saying. But we preach a mystery. You can't bring the gospel down to man's level so that man will love it or man by nature will understand it. You cannot do it. We preach a mystery. A mystery that must be revealed by the Holy Spirit. When we preach the gospel, we're not trying to bring God down to our level like it's up to you to accept him or reject him. Now that's easy for the natural mind to understand. That's what the natural mind already thinks. But it's wrong. It's wrong. We're not preaching the gospel that way. We preach a mystery. The mystery of God's electing love. That God would choose to save a sinner like me. That's a mystery. We cannot understand that. The mystery of his mercy and his grace. The mystery of his mercy and his grace that does not violate his justice or his holiness, but rather exalts it. We preach a mystery. God has determined to save a people in such a way that it magnifies both his justice and his mercy at the same time. That's a mystery. Now read on, verse 7. We speak the wisdom of God. We preach the gospel in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the foundation of the world unto our glory. Now this wisdom Paul's talking about is the wisdom of God. How God predestinated a merciful, gracious salvation for his people that was just at the same time. How God determined he was going to be merciful to his people and exalt his justice at the very same time. God in his wisdom predestinated a people that forgives the sin of his people and at the very same time fully punishes that sin. That's, that's amazing and that's a mystery. It's a mystery to the natural mind that God found a way to be just and still justify guilty sinners. And the only way that's possible is through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that would Job ask, how should a man be just with God? Man drinks iniquity like water. How is it possible I can be just with God? Well, Job asked that question, and you'll notice nobody gave an answer to it, because the natural mind can't find an answer to that question. Nobody but God can answer that question. God, in his wisdom, found a way to forgive sin and punish it. See, God must punish sin because God's holy. And God's elect are born dead in sin. They're spiritually bankrupt, the debt must be paid, but they're bankrupt. They have no way to pay the debt. See what the Father did? He determined to take that sin of his people. Brother Henry used to use his, his Bible. He said, this is the black, black, heavy weight of sin. 
He took it from His people. And He put it on His Son. His Son bore the debt. His Son bore the sin. His Son bore the guilt of that sin. And He put it away by the sacrifice of Himself. His precious blood paid the debt in full. Since the debt's paid, the Father forgives the sin of His people and He's just and right to do it because the debt's been paid. The Father forgives the sin of His people to this full extent. He said, I forget about it. You know why the Father can forget the sin of His people? Because the blood of Christ made it to not exist. The blood of Christ made it so there's nothing to remember. And the Father is merciful to his people in justice. Now that's the wisdom of God. He predetermined the way to make his people just and holy in his presence. That's a blessing. All right, point number four is very closely tied to that. God predestinated the sacrifice. He predestinated the Savior, and he predestinated the sacrifice for the sin of his people. Look back at Acts chapter 4. Acts 4. This is what Peter was was preaching. Verse 26. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, for of a truth, against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Now at Calvary, wicked men did exactly what their sinful, wicked hearts wanted to do. They thought of everything that they could think of to do, and they did it because that's what they wanted to do. But God worked it in such a way, while they wanted to kill And they wanted to torture Jesus of Nazareth. They wanted to get rid of this man, Jesus of Nazareth, because he's upsetting their religious apple cart. They ended up doing everything God predetermined before to be done. These these men did, did not do what they wanted to do. I mean, they did, but they didn't accomplish their purpose, did they? They did everything that they wanted to do. And these scribes, these Pharisees who are so steeped in the Scriptures forgot all the scriptures that they'd studied, all the scriptures that they wrote down, but it seems like they flipped through the Old Testament scriptures like a script in a play saying, what are we supposed to do next? What are we supposed to say next? What are we supposed to? And they did it. They followed it like a script in a play. They did what God predetermined before to be done. And they accomplished not, not their purpose, but the purpose of Almighty God. See, they wanted to earn salvation by their works, by their morality, by their observance of the ceremonies, and by the sacrifice of Christ, they provided the one way of salvation through the blood of Christ. They, they, they wanted to get rid of this man Jesus so we could go back to our ceremonies, and when Christ died, all the ceremonies were ended. God showed them that. He tore the veil in, in the temple in two from top to bottom. The ceremonies are done. There's no more Passover. Christ, our Passover, a sacrifice for us. There's no more observance of the Sabbath day. Christ is our rest. 
There's no more animal blood to be offered. There's no more goats. There's no more lambs. There's no more sheep. Christ, our sacrifice, has already been offered. So we don't use the picture. We don't use the ceremony anymore. We've got the real thing. So much better. So much better. These men did everything their wicked hearts wanted to do. But they failed to accomplish their purpose. And they accomplished God's. I love that. I love how God brings good out of evil. And oh, aren't we thankful? Aren't we? God's will is always done. His people, the sacrifice for their sins has been offered. The debt's been paid. And we're thankful. If God's revealed His Son to your heart, you're thankful for that salvation, aren't you? But I'm telling you, our salvation is so much greater than we realize right now. Now, we're thankful for it. We stand in awe of it. It's just, it's greater than our human mind can comprehend. It, but it's so much greater than we realize now. And I'll tell you when we'll start to get an idea of the greatness of this thing. We will start to get an idea of the greatness of what God predetermined for his people. He's in glory. We're going to start to get an idea of the blessing of this thing. Alright, here's the fifth thing. Look at it back at our text, Ephesians 1. God predestinated his people to be his children. Not just random citizens in his, his kingdom now, but his children. His children. Ephesians 1 verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. And he did it according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, just like election, I told you that uh, the doctrine, the teaching of election is not a mean, hard doctrine. It, it, it's not a, a restrictive doctrine that keeps people out. Never. If, if we think that way, or we preach it that way, we're thinking about it wrong, we're preaching about it wrong. Election is a loving doctrine. It's the only way a sinner can be brought into the presence of God. Well, predestination is the same way. It's a loving doctrine. And it needs to be taught like a loving doctrine. The Father predestinated a people to be made just like his son. And he also predestinated those people to be his children. Now the Father's love for his children. A human father's, a human mother's love for their children. It's so great you just, you, you can't understand it to experience it. You, you just can't. The Father loves a people so much he made them his own children. He doesn't love him as his children, like they're his children. He loves his children. All of his love to his children. I want to end with, with this Example that, that might help us understand what Paul is talking about here. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. I don't know, I, I don't reckon that they have orphanages like, like they used to have. You know, the places like you see in, in Annie or whatever. You know, very uncomfortable, very, very bad places. But, you know, they used to have these orphanages. You imagine an orphanage like that. 
you know, they're, they're feeding the, the kids gruel, three meals a day, you know, they're, they're, they're working them to death, they're, they're dirty, they're not, you know, well taken care of. They're just keeping them alive. Nobody's loving these kids. They're in an orphanage. And one day, here comes a fine young couple. I mean, oh, the, the husband, he, he's finely dressed, he's in a nice suit, he's a three-piece suit, he's got a, a chain in his suit going to his pocket watch. Shoes are black and shiny. He's tall, dark, and handsome. His wife, oh, she's she's a beautiful woman. You can just tell she she looks so kind and, and sweet. And oh, just you can just tell this couple they've got love to give to a children. And from the way they're dressed, they got the means to give to these children. Here comes this fine couple. Oh, all those kids in that orphanage. Boy, they whatever best clothes they got, they put them on. Don't they? they? They wash their face, they, they comb their hair, they brush their teeth. Oh, everybody wants to be adopted by this couple. Just, just look at them. This, 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 this looks like the answer to my dreams, you know. Everybody in that orphanage, every child, is getting ready to put their best foot forward for this couple. They want to be adopted by this couple. Except one teenage boy. I know something about a sullen teenage boy. I was one. And this sullen teenage boy, he, he'd been scarred by being through this procedure too many times. This is what he knows. Nobody's going to pick me. They, they want a cute little baby. Maybe, maybe a cute little toddler. I can't, I can't compete with them. And he just, he hardly even gets up off his bed or off his chair or something. You know, he just lays there, whatever clothes. He's laying there reading an old magazine or something. And that couple, they come and look at all the children in that orphanage. And you know who they pick to take home? That sullen teenage boy. And he thinks they picked me? They pick he, he. This too could be true. There's got to be some catch, doesn't there? He gets in their car. And they take him home. He keeps waiting for their shoe to drop. He keeps waiting, thinking this is too good to be true. And they pull up this, this, this beautiful little home. Beautiful little white picket fence. Beautiful home. And he comes in. That house is all clean. and, and for, He's never seen something so clean. And they say, come here. Let, let me show you your bedroom. He never had a bedroom to himself. He got a whole bedroom to himself. Just all the things a teenage boy could want in there. Just, just such a nice bed, such a comfortable room. Big old closet. He opens up the closet. You know what's in there? A whole new wardrobe. Clothes that just fitting perfectly. Just all the, the latest fashions and styles. And they're all clean and pressed. And he thinks, Whew. blessed. And he wasn't wrong, was he? Oh, how blessed that the Father predestinated people to be made his children. The Father looked down on all humanity of all the ones he could pick. He didn't pick one who's powerful in themselves. He didn't pick one who's beautiful in themselves. Every one of them he chose is a sullen teenager who refused to get up and wash his face and comb his hair. And the Father predetermined I'm going to make that one my son. I'm going to make that one my daughter. And he takes him home. 
he reveals his son to him and in him. And he gives that child a home. He tells him, I've gone to a prayer place for you. He gives him a new wardrobe. And it fits him perfectly. It's the righteousness of his son. Oh, how blessed. How blessed it is that the Father would choose sinful men and women like we are and make us his children. I hope that will be a blessing to you. I hope that helps us understand something of the blessing of predestination.